This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jack Morris finished his playing career in 1994 with 254 wins, five All-Star games, and four World Series titles. He made 14 consecutive opening day starts. Despite a stellar career, it was 24 years before the Hall of Fame came calling. Waiting nearly a quarter century to see his plaque in Cooperstown had a profound effect on Jack and made 2018 a special year. I'm Tim McMaster, and I got a chance to sit down with Jack while he looked back on his unforgettable year. Changed up and struck him out. And a terrific job done by Jack Morris. Got him swinging, and he has his no-hitter. Atlanta has him scored in 10 innings against Jack Morris. Jack Morris, welcome to Cooperstown. Just eight players have won the number 47 in 118 seasons of Tigers baseball, and of course, no Tiger ever will again. Hello, Cooperstown! Well, Jack, I want to start by just thanking you for taking some time here and just remembering back basically on what had to have been really a whirlwind year. And now we've come full circle back to the winter meetings and we've heard the next Hall of Famers announce Harold Baines and Lee Smith. But thanks a lot. You know, it's fun to be here. The winter meetings are always been a time where you're anticipating something major going to happen in baseball. For me, last year, it was about the Hall of Fame, but I wasn't anticipating it. And that's what made it, I guess, such a wonderful experience for me is the fact that I had prepared myself mentally to come to the winter meetings with no thought of being on the, you know, on the roster. And uh, it happened and, you know, changed everything for me that that winter meeting. Talk about that a little bit. The fact that you were going to be here anyway, that's not always the case, but you were here for, for work. Yeah. Um, and then the, the bonus of obviously getting the announcement, but you knew you were going to be around for the announcement. You knew you were on the ballot. Was that hard? Well, I had been through it a few times on the writer's ballot where, you know, I didn't make it. And then I have to work and talk about not only the guys that did make it, but uh, defend my numbers or whatever to certain guys who asked me questions about, well, do you think it was the right vote? Um, you know, those were awkward times. I didn't really care to, to do that over and over and over again, but I ended up having to do that uh, for a while. Uh, last year was different because now it was out, out of one committee's hand. The writers were no longer involved. It was on the veterans' ballot to do that, and uh, a lot of those guys were peers, guys I played with and against, and I, I really felt in my heart that that might give me a better chance, but I was still very cautious on the fact that I wasn't overly anticipating anything like that would happen. I'm sure it was a flood of emotions, but within all of that, excitement and, and honored and all of that, was there a small amount of redemption that you felt when finding out? Does that come later? Did that ever come? You know, the only, the only, for me personally, no. Redemption yeah. is a, I, I think I got over that somewhere in the early years of being on the ballot uh, when I realized, hey, this might not work out the way you might thought it would. Um, with that being said, I just kept, 
kept it all in perspective, knowing what I did during my time and being basically content with the fact that, hey, that's what I could do. That's what I could give. And uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> and if it's not good enough, well, then so be it. And I, I think I came to grips with that. It was good enough. Now, you hear your name called first from Jeff Idelson, who we're going to talk to in a little bit. Um, but then you hear Tram, your teammate, yeah. for so long. Did it go from just a kind of a, a life-changing moment to just another level, knowing that he was also going to be a part of it? Yeah, I don't know how to really describe it, put it into words uh, eloquently. But bottom line is, I knew I had somebody to share it with. Yeah. And somebody that I had shared a lot of great baseball memories with over my lifetime. So uh, it was extra special, without question. Uh, Alan and I are, you know, I wouldn't call us best friends, but we've been very close for a long time. And we have tremendous respect for each other. And so I was happy for him and his family for all that he had been through because both of us had to spend some time waiting. So really no surprise that you mentioned Tram in your speech. Let's listen to a little of that. To go into the Hall of Fame with my friend and teammate, Alan Trammell, is a dream come true. We signed together in 1976, spent 13 years together in Detroit, and now 42 years later, Cooperstown. Wow. <laughs> wow. Being back here at a different winter meetings, obviously a different location, did a lot of those memories from a year ago kind of come back this week? Um... A few of them did. You know, I I think every year there's a whole new set of circumstances for all the guys and the criteria that make them qualifying and not. Uh, I was happy for Lee Smith especially because I've always thought that he was a guy that got overlooked. Harold uh, was a great hitter, and that opens the door up, I think, for a lot of other guys down the road. Uh, you know, he was, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, as a young player was a pretty good outfielder and then, became a DH for most of his career. So that's got to favor other DHs. Jim Tomey's in now. Mm -hmm. So for so many years, uh, baseball somehow decided that the designated hitter wasn't good good enough to be Hall of Fame worthy because they didn't play in the field. And now all of a sudden, in the last two years, we've got two. And before this is all over, maybe three. I know you had kind of come to grips with everything, like you said when I asked you about redemption, and you were in a good place. That said, when you found out you were finally in here at the winter meetings a year ago, did you think back through the 15 years on the writer's ballot, or I guess the journey in general to that point? Yeah, you know, what I thought about, quite honestly, is, you know, there was some bitterness early on, uh, mainly because a couple writers antagonized me. They'd call me and say, I voted for you last year, but not this year. And I didn't remember losing 20 games, so right. I didn't understand their thought process. Uh, as the years went by, I understood it better. It was based on who they thought were the guys they were going to vote for on the, that particular ballot. Um, and when it was all said and done, I think I was in a better place mentally to accept it as an older guy than I was as a younger guy. And so I think there is an appreciation value um, the older you get, uh, knowing that, hey, it took some time, but now you can reflect back on all those years that you were maybe not prepared to handle it the way you are now. For more, as we look back on the last year for Jack Morris since he was announced and then went into the Baseball Hall of Fame, we're excited to be joined by Jeff Idelson, president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. And Jeff, I want to start, I guess, with the question about just the time, because it took Jack a while to get in, obviously. And then you get to be the guy that on MLB Network announces Jack Morris, 
welcome to the Hall of Fame. That's just a neat thing to get to do for you every year, isn't it? Oh, it's it's a great responsibility that I take very seriously. And when a, you know when a guy like Jack who uh, waited a long time, and I mean I watched him pitch his entire career, it's especially gratifying for me to be able to deliver those words and, and know that it's going to have some meaning on the other end. And it was with your teammate as well, and I know we have the video of you yeah. hearing Jeff say it, and just take us back, Jack, to, to that moment, hearing Jeff say the words and what was going through your mind. Well, those two days are kind of like a blur, and yet they're not. It's almost like I could relive, relive them right now. Uh, two of the happiest days of my life because not for me so much is for the message I could tell friends and family. And the joy that I heard on the other end of the line and then, you know, the surprise visit from my two older sons the next day, I had no idea that they were going to fly down, and they did. And, you know, a lot of Tiger people, a lot of Twins people, uh, Blue Jay fans. It was just so emotional for me during the winter meetings because, Timmy, you and I have worked together for a while, and we both have been kind of in and out of the what-if stage for quite a few years <laughs> and then it finally happened yeah. and and i guess uh, the floodgates kind of opened up for me during those two days during the winter meetings um you think back to to those winter meetings and jeff and he says those words then in the speech when it comes july you actually thanked jeff through the years i want to listen to that clip real quick i am humbled and honored to be with all of you today Above all, I give thanks to God for his many blessings. Thank you, Commissioner Manfred. Thank you, James Forbes Clark, for all that you have done and continue to do to make this place so special. Jeff Idelson, thanks for being so supportive for so many years, and the Hall of Fame staff for all that you've done for me and my family. So you thank Jeff for the support through the years. Just talk about that, because over the time, and you have a relationship with somebody at the Hall of Fame, and you're on the fence, and, and you finally get in. Well, I totally understood the difficult position that he is in, being the president of the Hall of Fame, and and not being able to communicate his personal thoughts to people right. that he might believe in. Um, I totally understood that. I think the first time I met Jeff was at Kirby Puckett's funeral, and. Uh, you know, I, I looked at him, and, and I could just see the look in his eye. It was the sadness for Kirby and the whole Twins family for what had just gone through. But, you know, I think he looked at me in a different look that I hadn't seen before. And I just kind of knew right then that, hey, this guy is doing what he can do, and his hands are tied. And I, I respect that. And I've respected it with all the writers, quite honestly. I realized that even if they did or didn't vote for me, that they're in a difficult position. They can't always make things happen even though they believe one way or the other and therefore how many times i had to listen to jeff talk about the process will eventually come to fruition and i i'm starting to believe that uh, that sometimes it takes time and i was one of those guys but it doesn't take away any of the joy that i finally did get to receive talk about that part of your job jeff and just the communication with all the hall of famers but not just the hall of famers guys that are on that edge and aren't there yet well, you know, it's an explanation. You try to, and it's hard. It's, it's hard to communicate it. And it's probably hard to understand it. But you know, one percent make it into the Hall of Fame. One out of a hundred. And for a guy like Jack and, and and Tram and some other guys, it's like, it's not that you're horrible. You're probably right now in the top one and a half percent. And you know, looking at it that way, that you're right there. And I've, as I said to Jack, I don't have a vote, but I have a private opinion about how I feel. And 
and I honestly believed that one day he would get there. I thought he would, and I thought he belonged, and I'm, we're thrilled to have him in Cooperstown. There's a lot that goes into this other than July and other than having a plaque in there. I was there in February when you got that yeah. first private tour of the Hall of Fame. It really is a club, a membership, and you guys open the doors up to these guys whenever they want. Well, absolutely. It's their Hall of Fame. Yeah. We're just there to polish the plaques and sweep the <laughs> floors, quite honestly, because I'm going to be there and I'm going to, you know, we're all going to go away sometime and Jack and all the others will still be there. And it's a great honor for me. I've been in baseball 32 years and nothing, nothing brings me great, uh, greater joy than being in the Hall of Fame and being affiliated with that museum, that organization and all the guys that have made it so great. Did you realize that side of it until you were there? You know, I think we all have our curiosity as to actually what what's going to happen once we're members once we're in the group how will they treat me well you know will I sense some animosity will I sense relief will I sense what will I feel and I guess of all the things that happened over the course of the last year the thing that made me feel the best is how openly every single guy treated me and made me feel like I was a part of it and that to me is something special and I'm going to do my darndest to make sure every uh, guy that makes the Hall of Fame after me, I can try to bring that out in them too. Jack mentioned the emotion. He got emotional during his speech. A lot of guys do. You've heard all these speeches over the years, Jeff. Really close up. I'm not going to make you rank it as a number, but he had a pretty good one, right? Jack had a great speech, and you can <laughs> tell the difference between um, guys who, you know, it's, it's near and dear to their heart and very emotional, and others are... And it's not, uh, it's not a lack of feeling, but maybe they need some help with their speech or they're not as connected to it. And uh, the ones where the guys speak from their heart, um, you can tell. And Jax was right up there. It was hard for me because originally they gave me a pretty short window for a time limit. Um, and Nobody pays attention to that. Though. Well, eventually, they, uh, the, within two weeks of the yeah. actual speech, they told me, don't worry if you go over <laughs> Well, why did they tell me that originally? Because I would have had a lot less stress. But I did condense it, and I think that was a good thing, and that's probably why they do what they do. Um, originally, the first thing I did was I wrote down a list of everybody I felt I should mention in my speech. Then I read that list. It took me 20 minutes. <laughs> and that was just reading names. And I said, oh my gosh, you've got a long way to go here. And it was hectic uh, because to me, it was one of the most important speeches I could ever give to reflect back not only what uh, people meant in helping me get this goal and get this dream, uh, but to share it with them. And uh, I didn't want to leave any, anybody unturned that I thought should be represented. All right, thanks so much for taking some time with us, Jeff. Absolutely, thank you. I want to get into the actual weekend in Cooperstown, but that wasn't your first trip back. You got to go in February, um, and I was lucky enough to be there, yeah. there with you. As you get the private tour of Cooperstown, nobody else around. They take you down into the archives as well, and you got to go there with, with your wife and son. In the scheme of the year, how did that stand out, and is that one of the first moments where it kind of hits home what's happening? It is. Um you know, it was extra special for me because I have a young, impressionable, you know, baseball player in my son, a 13-year-old Who didn't boy get that, to see you play. Who never saw yeah. me play. And uh, I married a woman who really doesn't understand baseball that well. And she's learned through her son and through her crazy husband that uh, tries to fill in the blanks when I can. But I think to see both of their reactions to what Cooperstown and the Hall of Fame is actually about... And how they looked at it like, wow, this is pretty cool. 
you know, I already knew that. I already knew the history of the game and the guys and some of the things. And obviously the museum is, is just wonderful. I spent maybe two hours there. You were there uh, with me. And I could have spent two days or two weeks to see everything. There's so much that's archived in the basement that people don't even get to see that I would be intrigued by. But not every fan would be. And we talked to Jeff about how you know they they open the doors obviously to you because it's your Hall of Fame, um, and you can go back yeah. and get that treatment and just I guess it's it's a chance and you will probably go back a lot of years, but um, it's your home now in a lot of ways and you can go back and you can spend that time. And that's one of the neatest things about the whole summer experience is what when I actually uh, was inducted the Hall of Fame weekend, but even prior to it, they immediately made me feel warm made me feel like, all right, you're in now. It doesn't matter how, when, or how long, the drought that you took, you are now one of us and your family. And it is a special family. And, you know, I've heard a lot of guys, a lot of Hall of Famers tell me that you won't know until you get there, and you're going to get there. They kept reminding me, well, I didn't really know what that meant. I'm not saying it's the end all, but it is a special place, and now I understand that. I remember from that morning when we took the tour, you go into the actual hall where all the plaques are, and you took your time going through, and it almost seemed like you were kind of looking, wanted to see what was there, but there was a few names that you kind of searched out and specifically yeah, wanted well, to Yeah, some of my see. idols, obviously Harmon Killebrew, you know, K-Line in Detroit, guys I knew. I was looking for their plaques because I had never seen them in person. But, but for me, it was like going through the holy grail of baseball history. Uh, you've got you know, the greatest players of all time gathered in a sort of symbolic way in a room when majority of them are passed away, and yet they're still being honored and remembered there in that room. So when I walked into it, you know, I was looking for my baseball heroes, all of them, between Killebrew and Kaline and a lot of the uh, great players uh, in my youth, uh, certainly guys that I've always admired in Hall of Fame, but it was also guys that I didn't know about and a lot of the great old players that are not with us anymore. And it, it's crazy, Tim. I don't know how to really describe this, but it was almost like I was, I was taking myself and putting myself in the script of uh, Field of Dreams or some old-style movie and, and seeing if there was acceptance there. Do, hi, guys. Do, do you know who I am? And I, I would really like to meet you. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's kind of what I was trying to absorb when I walked into that room. And you did take it through the journey from your younger days to college to uh, to all your different stops along the way. Um, and I think you spent enough time on each of those, and people were there yeah. that represented each of those, right? They were. My, my college coach was there. I wasn't expecting it, but uh, as we were going through the parade, um, the day that we had our parade, I see a big sign and a guy yelling, and it's Mike. My American Legion coach, wow. he was there. So, yeah, there were a lot of people there that I didn't even know were there. Um, and that's what the celebration is all about. Um, certainly, it was my time. I'm going to reflect as Harold and, and Lee go in this summer and probably a couple more guys. I'm going to be reflecting on my year. That's, I think, human nature. But I'm going to also listen and watch their reactions because we can all relive our time yeah. by watching what they're doing. The speech is kind of at the end of the weekend. I mean, you go through, yeah. if you get there Friday, there's Saturday, there's all these different things. And you have to always be, I would think in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, the, the big day is coming. I have to get up there and, and go through it all. Now, you're, you're in broadcasting, so the, the actual speaking is, is, I think, to a degree natural to you. 
That said, um, how much were you able to enjoy those other moments knowing what was coming? I actually think I did a pretty good job yeah. of that um, because I was prepared. And when I when I reflect back about our group, then the class of 2018, I am so proud of everybody. I thought everybody prepared and, and delivered a very nice speech. Um, you know, everybody everybody was a little bit unique, which we expected. Uh, and everybody has a different take on what they want to say, and that's the human element. But I was prepared. I knew that hey, I could rewrite this thing 500 more times and I'm pretty much going to end up with the same general message. So I, I was content with what it was going to be. Um, one of my favorite moments in that whole weekend was the next day. Peter Gammons held a little discussion with all of us guys about uh, our careers, our journeys, the game today. And I absolutely enjoyed it because all of us were more relaxed. Yeah. And we had some heartfelt and very thoughtful answers. And I wish the whole group that saw the induction ceremony could have listened to that roundtable discussion because I thought it was fabulous. And one of your heartfelt answers was about one of your proudest moments as a player, the championship with your hometown twins. Let's listen. How could I ever top the exuberation I felt after the Minnesota Twins won the World Series against the Atlanta Braves? And I, and I, oh, hey. <laughs> Calm, calm down, calm down. I have a compliment for all you Braves fans. Let him finish. It, it could have been cut in half, okay? The trophy could, I'm meeting this from the bottom of my heart. That's how much love I had for that series and for the two teams that were there. But I've always said, and I've meant this too, that if, Everybody could feel what I felt after the 91 World Series ended. We'd have a better world. And then we come to this this weekend, and to share it with these guys, I felt as much love there as I've ever felt in my, love and I, in my life, and I thank you all for it. Peter has a special way of, of bringing something like that together, too, because of his knowledge. And, I mean, he knows everyone. <laughs> well, he, Every year he does he knows his research all, all and certainly uh, knows a lot about some of the things when you were a younger guy that you might have forgot about yourself. Yeah, certainly. All right, so each team also kind of paid tribute, right? The Tigers had a little party for you. And the, the just talk about that side of things. And you go, some guys go in and it's one team. You know, Mariano Rivera, if he goes in, he's a Yankee. Yeah. But you not only played for multiple teams, but had special moments for multiple teams. I mean, the Tigers... The most time there, you won your first World Series there. Then you go to the hometown team, the Twins, you win a World Series. And then obviously Toronto with the back-to-back. -back. Um, not everybody has that experience. No. And that made Hall of Fame weekend, I think, cool for you just because all those different groups hold you in such high regard. Well, I was really impressed with the, uh, the fact that the Tigers, number one, were going to throw a party for Alan and I. Yeah. And that they reached out to the Twins and the Blue Jays to invite them to it. I thought that showed class. And, uh, you know, the Twins owner was there, Jim Polad, uh, the front office guys, Dave St. Peter and his staff, um, so many teammates. Uh, it was great to see everybody be a part of that. You know, it truly was a party. It was a celebration. And I guess if you're going to have one, you want everybody that you can remember to be a part of it because, you know, you can laugh, you can joke, and tease each other about a, how dumb you were when you were doing <laughs> things, and then embrace and give high fives about how, what, what we accomplished. 
As we continue to look back on the year that Jack Morris went into the Hall of Fame, kind of from the beginning to the end, it started at the winter meetings, which is where we're recording this. We bring in J.P. Morosi, who grew up in Detroit or in Michigan as a fan of Detroit teams. Um, you're a little too young to really see that 84 team, right? Right, just just barely. My, my first team that I really followed was 87. So that great pennant race you were involved in there against yeah. the Blue Jays. Just take us back a little bit to that time as far as the Tigers go, because it was a great time, obviously, with Sparky in charge and those Tigers teams, um, and, and what you remember about what Jack meant to all that. Jack was the ace for every single year. I remember that, that streak of opening day starts, Jack, that you yeah. knew that growing up in Michigan, as I did, that every, every year April would begin with you on the mound for opening day. And I just wonder, Jack, as you look at the way that different teams are built now, what was the special quality about that group of Tigers teams and, and do you see it replicated in any teams that you see right now? Well, JP, when I look back, it, it's it's one of those deals where we were all drafted, kind of came up in the minor leagues together, got called up relatively the same period over the course of maybe two, three years, and got to the big leagues and took a whooping for several years. And I think it built team chemistry. That whole learning process for a lot of us guys at the big league level uh, built a lot of team chemistry, and it, we finally started figuring how to play baseball at the big league level, um, not just individually, but as a team. And I think uh, once we saw the Baltimore Orioles win the World Series, when we knew in our hearts we were better than them, it was time for us to show the world that we could play. The one thing that really rings a bell to me in our 84 year is the fact that in our hearts, we didn't have any superstars. We were all the same kids. We were all from the same, cut from the same cloth. And, you know, I guess we were all trying to prove something. And I remember uh, going into postseason play, there was this big controversy over whether the Tigers had enough experience. <laughs> and I thought to myself, and I'll never forget this, what does experience mean? Until you go through something that's going to give you experience, you have no experience. But does that mean you're not qualified to play on the same level as the team with the experience? So... I really did some soul-searching prior to the postseason that year, and I thought to myself, you know what, I can play, and I'm going to show the world that I can play, and it, it turned out pretty good. When you're in the middle of it and winning a championship or even the next few seasons being a quality team in Major League Baseball, is there any thought that, you know, what there's kids out there, J.P. Morosi's out there watching this <laughs> yeah. team, um, and the, the lasting impact you can have as a Major League athlete, the fact that we're talking about this now, and talking about when JP was younger, um, and obviously now he can talk to you about it, but you have that impact on young kids. You know, I, I'll be honest, for me personally, I wish I would have thought of things like that a lot more often. I would have wish I thought about my parents, and a lot of this is, because I did a lot of bad things, <laughs> things that I regret, yeah. especially speaking to the press, uh, nothing I'm proud of. Um, but with that being said, I always looked at the best thing I can do for all of it is win. Win, baby, win. If I keep winning, no matter how bad everything else is, somehow, some way, it'll all turn out in a positive way. And I, you know, I kind of don't have a lot of regrets because of that. We, we fought hard, we worked hard, and we won a lot. When you think about that, Jack, what, what changed in you? In, in that perspective where we're out because obviously it's interesting Tim and, and 
Jack has been so awesome to me all the years that I've known Jack. And so that there, the, the part about your relationship with the media years gone by, I never saw that because you've always been so great to me, which, by the way, is a great thrill for me to have gotten to know Jack Morris and gotten yeah. to know Alan Trammell. People talk about, yeah. John, are you starstruck when you talk to Mike Trout or whomever these days? I was way more starstruck when I met the, the great players that I admired when I was young. That's that's when you're starstruck. But I, I wonder, Jack, for you, as as you transition out of the game, maybe your later years, what, where do those changes come from and to what do you attribute this great perspective that you have in the game now? Well, for one, when I became a free agent, finally left Detroit, I looked in the mirror and looked back and I said, you know, half the people that live in Michigan don't even know who I am. Mm. They don't know what I am. They, they see this kind of hired gun and villain and guy that's you know got more determination and will and cusses too much and he's real rough around the edges and you know is that the impression I want to leave on the next team I play for and I said the answer to me was no and I remember when I was in Toronto uh, early in the season I had a bad outing really bad outing and the writers came in and it was at the time there was a war going on in Bosnia and uh for whatever reason, I started dwelling on, you know, baseball is something I love to do, and I'm fortunate to play it. But in the big picture of life, it really is insignificant to, to the guys that are over there fighting for their lives. And and I don't know. I said something like, yeah, I had a bad game, but, you know, it's not as bad as it could be, you know. Mm-hmm. And I started reflecting more and more about, hey, start embracing all of this. Start embracing the media because – Maybe someday, you know, you'll have a different outlook on it all. And I, I really believe it helped me because it made me relax, made me quit fighting a war that I never had to fight against them. Mm-hmm. And you certainly embraced it. We could all see it, I think, over the last year with the Hall of Fame. Now, JP, last summer, Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. I know you're, you're a writer now. You're objective. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a guy you grew up rooting for. Yeah. How cool was it to see him go into the Hall of Fame? It was amazing. And actually, that, that trip... Uh, was not really for me scheduled as duty for a network yeah. or, or to cover it. Like I was there because I wanted to be there, and and the people at the Hall of Fame were great and helped me get there, and MLB Network as well. I basically just said, hey, listen, it's a it's a, it's a special weekend for me as a, as a Detroiter, as someone who grew up a Tiger fan. I'm going to be there. And so I, I wanted to be there to see you and to see Alan Trammell going to the Hall of Fame, certainly for us in the network, to see Bob Costas be honored as well. So there, there were a lot of reasons to be there. But I, I knew, Jack, when you got in last December, you and Tram, I said, I'm going. I, I, whatever, 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 but it's and to, and to see the way that the Tigers honored both of you the night before was so special. Yeah. It was just, uh, it really, I just get goosebumps thinking about it because that when you grow up in this game and, and – and the game is part of your life. There are those moments and the, and the people that make it special. And for me, watching you and Tram for all those years, you made it special for me. So for me to be able to be there and to see that, for, to, to see you both be recognized so so brilliantly because you deserved it for so long, and I know all of us believe that in Michigan and certainly around the country, it was just a perfect day gorgeous day I remember the weather yeah, just could not have day. been better so for me it was just it was an honor for me to just be among the crowd that's all I was that day was being among the crowd and so Jack it was just a great honor to be there I, I, I appreciate from the bottom of my heart I appreciate those words and you know I, I reflect back about this whole year think about all the great moments and all the emotions that I uh, went through during the course of the year and, and I, I remember when I got back home from Cooperstown from the induction week um, saying you know it's the people it's always the people without mm-hmm. them what a, this is a waste of time, you know. Mm-hmm. Why would we even be here? But it's the people you share it with that meant the most. And I, 
you know, that's why I guess I reflect back about my younger years because did I lose some of those people that I shouldn't have? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have regrets in that regard. But, you know, you, you, you look at it, you recognize it, and you move mm -hmm. forward. And that's what I've tried to do. Well, and Jack, too, I, I was struck by this just being there on that day. It was, it was the first induction I'd ever seen. Yeah. And, and to be there to see all the different people, the different countries represented sure. there. You had Vladdy's mm -hmm. family and friends from the, from the Dominican and his fans. You had Canadian fans coming down for you and for Vladdy, all these connections that, that, that were there. And, and so to me, I, I had this thought just going, going forth from that day thinking, how could you possibly come to this place on this day and, and be jaded at all about baseball's right. future and, and, and to be pessimistic? It's not possible because when you're there, you realize all these people came – because they were they were drawn there by whether it was feelings of their of their youth or the teams they're connected to the countries they're connected to and and you look out at that crowd you had people of all walks yeah. of life Jack that you were, that you were speaking to on that day and you it's inspiring to be there to your point and a great point uh, and I, I felt the same way the one thing I remember vividly is that I saw every jersey represented yes. in the crowd yes. and there was no arguments Right, and, yes. and there were huge rivalries back when I played mm -hmm. between Detroit and Toronto, between you know a lot of different teams. Right. And yet in Cooperstown, it was a celebration. Everybody, they were like friends. You're wearing a you're wearing a different team. You're still my friend, and that that's what made it special. And, and we think about too just the, the special summer events that we have in our in our sport. So it was just a, less than a month from that day. I was in Williamsport. Yeah. So for the, for the Little sure. League Classic there. And full it's, circle. Full circle, and, and yet it's the same. Yeah. I felt like I was walking in the same emotion of both places, yeah. where, again, you saw every jersey in Cooperstown. You saw every jersey in Williamsport in terms of all around the world, and it was that same wonder. So I, I saw in these 10, 11, 12-year-old kids – the same wonder that I had watching Jack. And yeah. so then I get a chance to to be that kid again to see him in, in, in Cooperstown. So it was just it was a really special summer where, where your your love of baseball is renewed. Certainly we all have it every day, but there are those days where it kind of spikes up. Sure. And for me, Cooperstown, Williamsport have that effect on you. JP, thanks for taking us back to last My pleasure. year. My and pleasure. thanks for taking us back to Detroit in the yeah, 80s, yeah, the Detroit a, Tigers. A special place, and I, I, I have to tell you too, to have the, the way the Tigers honored both you and Tram also in that Class same back, same month, man. just just and again two two unique days where the Tigers honored both of you to retire numbers, and it was just so cool to see you attend Tram's, Tram yeah. attend yours, and and just to see that that great connection that both of you, by the way, still have. You're still involved, obviously, in with, with us here at MLB.com and, and broadcasting, still very much involved in the game in Tram, as we talked about last summer too. He's still out there seeing yeah. minor league players for. Yeah. The Tigers. Just the loves. love both of you still have for the game is one of the many reasons why you're both so deserving of the Hall. Can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks JP. Hall of Fame weekend ended. Your summer was not over <laughs> because two of your teams, obviously the Twins and the Tigers, had special weekends for you too. Tigers split it up because they had you and Allen, and, and he was able to make it to your weekend, you to his. Retired number. In the grand scheme of things, the Hall of Fame is amazing. A retired number is different right than going into the hall of fame i mean because it, it's a team specific thing and to think about wow the rest of the time people are going to be putting on detroit tigers uniforms they're not putting on your number you know it's funny um uh, i have a dear friend who was our equipment manager when i was playing in detroit jim smakel and he's still he's still the equipment manager to this year you know 40 years later he's still the same doing the same job 
And all those years, he never gave out my number to anybody else. And he was forced at a couple times to give away a couple number other numbers that he didn't want to uh, give their uniform out to a player. But they had worn that number, and they were substantial players, so they were able to get the number. And I asked him one time a few years back, I said, has anybody requested it? He says, yeah, two guys. And he said, I told them both, you got to go out and win 20 games, and I'll give it to you. And neither one did, so my number was safe. Uh, with that being said, it's funny. It's almost like Jim Schmeichel knew something that I didn't know because uh, uh, he, he saved that number and nobody wore it after, after I got done playing. So it's not, just, it's not just now and forever. It was the 35, 40 years in between. It's amazing that he was there that long to be able to do that. Exactly. It's so how young was he back then when you were playing? I don't remember his yeah, exact age, but he's been doing the, the same gig for a long time, and he's still good at it. Now the pressure's off him. He doesn't have to turn anybody <laughs> Not down. Not those it's, numbers, anyway. It's official. Yeah. Those numbers are locked in. All right, and then the Twins honored you as well, and that was kind of the, the end of, of the tour. At that point, you kind of had to be exhausted, but it was neat that it got to end at home. Right? It really was, uh, and that was a special weekend, too, and I can't thank the Twins enough for that weekend they made it unique in the fact that they brought in hall of famers paul molitor and dave winfield and they were able to the st paul guys three guys from the same basic era in st paul and then i threw the first pitch to joe mauer who could be a potential hall of famer down the road uh which which is another st paul kid so they they kind of threw the whole st paul aspect into that weekend celebration but it was again a special thing because my family was there, and, uh, you know, they, they brought in a youth baseball team from the community that my son plays on so that they could be on the field. So it made it all kind of special to me. So that was kind of the, the end of it all. And now it begins again as far as the cycle for the Hall of Fame goes. You're going to be there again. How will this year be different? Well, everybody said I'm going to enjoy the yeah, following more years fun. Uh, much more than the, you know, and I, I don't know if I agree with that because there's something about knowing that this is all about you than uh, somebody else. It sounds selfish, and I'm just being honest. Uh, but I think all of us that have gone through it will have a, the ability to reflect and re relax and socialize. I didn't get to talk to a lot of guys that I wanted to talk to. I didn't have time. Uh, we're, we're moved around pretty quickly to a lot of different events, so... Uh, this year, I'll probably have some more time to talk to fellow Hall of Famers and get to know them better. Well, thank you for taking this time, and it was a heck of a whirlwind of a year. Now it's behind you. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. That will do it for this edition of MLB Extras. Thanks to Jeff Idelson and J.P. Morosi for being a part of this podcast, and, of course, to Hall of Famer Jack Morris, who I have promised I will never ask another question about the Hall of Fame. Thank you for listening. <laughs>